If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Somebody said, uh-oh. All right. Uh, fifth book of your Bible in the Old Testament. Um, again, if you're new, typically what we do is we preach through books of the Bible, and we are actually in a study walking through the book of Acts. And we have paused that, as we often do at the beginning of the year in January, um, just to uh, ask the Lord to reaffirm, kind of uh, like I, I prayed, to reorient our, our lives and our church around um, what he has called us to and what he's, he's calling us to and uh, as disciples, as, as disciple-making disciples. So that's what we're doing for the month of January. Then we're going to pick back up in the book of Acts in February. But we're going to look in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. While you're still trying to find Deuteronomy, um, want to make a, just a couple announcements. Uh, a lot of things happening or coming up uh, at the Parks Church. Uh, first, for the student ministry, uh, D-Now is taking place at the end of the month. Uh, so be checking your email. Men's and Women's Bible Studies are launching the second week in February. And then the first week of February, our Praxis groups are officially starting or launching out uh, February 7th that week. And so if you're not part of a Praxis group, it's the small group uh, ministry, community group ministry here at the Parks Church, uh, we invite you to jump in. If you're part of a Praxis group, existing Praxis group, uh, you guys are probably already running and going already, which is great. But we have some new Praxis groups that we're going to assimilate all of you folks who have joined us or aren't in a Praxis group yet into those. And so that'll take place uh, beginning tomorrow. So be watching your email, Church Center app, all those things for you to register for men's and women's Bible studies, uh, Praxis groups, and also our student ministry dean now. All right, like I said, we are in series called Whole Life Discipleship here at the Parks Church. And for the last uh, two weeks, we had looked at, um, one, first week, we looked at the goal of what the goal of whole life discipleship is. And we have to set this foundation before we begin to get into different areas and spheres of our life that comprise our whole life. We have to know the, 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 what is the goal of discipleship. And because the goal doesn't change no matter what sphere of life we're talking about. And so we said that the goal of whole life discipleship is this. The goal of whole life discipleship is to see and know the beauty of the or our triune God. The goal of discipleship, the goal of whole life discipleship is to know and to see the beauty of our triune God. Why would that be the goal? Well, because that is where all of history is headed. Right? So we can look at books like Habakkuk 2 verse 14 that says, listen... Um, All history, world history is pointing to the fact that the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the whole earth like the waters cover the sea. So ultimately, no matter what happens in in our lives, we know that ultimately what's going to pervade and win over everything is the glory of God. Okay, And so if we know that, then the goal or point of our lives as disciples is to see and know the beauty of who our God is. Truly. Truly know and see. Like every fiber, every facet of our lives must be consumed with that fact. That's the goal of discipleship. Last week, so in week two, we looked at the local church. Okay, like how do these things fit together? And then give me the little graphic that, that we built. How do these things fit together as we reorient our whole lives, not around self? You see, that's what sin says. Sin says what's in the middle there is not God the Father, not the triune God, God, not God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. But what's in the middle there is me, self. And I dictate what happens in my family, in culture, in work, because it benefits me. As Christians, people who have been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a brand new orientation, right? Tim Keller, he puts it like this. He says, the gospel is not something that we just look at. The gospel is something we now look through. It's the lenses. It shades everything, every facet, every fiber. Why? Because it already belongs to God. Okay? And so that is what we are endeavoring to do. So last week we looked at the church. And I said this, that the church is the primary formative place in space for whole life discipleship. Right? And that's not just the opinion of Kyle. That's not the opinion of the Parks Church. That's the opinion of the scriptures. Okay? That is what the scriptures say. Ephesians 3.10. That the manifold wisdom of God is on display through the... Were you here? No, some of you weren't. You're like, I wasn't here. Okay? It's through the church. Okay? Through the church, God's wisdom is made known. So one, the church is absolutely irreplaceable in your life and in my life. Right? The local expression in the capital C church as well. But we focused on the local expression. So not only is it irreplaceable, it's also visible, right? That the manifold wisdom of God is made known, right? The church must be visible to a watching world, not just to one another, but to a watching world of the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? Christ Jesus, the gospel, the saving redemption that came through and in him 
alone. And so then, then this week, I want to talk about another significant area in our lives, right? As we, we kind of build this case for whole life discipleship, the home or family, okay? How do we see and know the beauty of the triune God? How are we forming and shaping our lives within the context of our family or home, right? The home is where we get the vision given by Christ through the church and press it into our real life and practice. Let me say that again. The home or the family is where we get the vision first given by Christ, pressed in through the church, cast through the local church we talked about last week, and is formed and shaped in the context and real life practice within the home. And another important piece, which we're going to talk about, is that that is also the primary space and place for the formation of our kids. All right? So the home and family must be a primary focus as we walk with God together as a community of faith. God designed the home and family as a place of teaching and spiritual formation, a place of modeling and following, a place of discipline and repentance, a place of love and acceptance, a place where we can learn to follow Jesus and know what his heart is toward us together. Okay? That is what the Bible describes. Now, before we dig in to Deuteronomy, I want to give us a couple warnings here. All right, a couple warnings. Uh, first, uh, maybe you have already tuned out because you're single, all right? Or, or maybe because you're an empty nester or you're a grandparent or you're a kid in here. Like, please do not do that. I'm going to talk specifically to all of you, address all of those different contexts, but all of this being in the word of God applies to all of us, all right? So this is application not to just parents or not to just married couples or those who have kids who are between these ages. It is for all of us. Another warning. Do not weaponize this sermon. Okay? Do you know what I mean by that? Some of you are like nodding. I, this is not when I even I introduced the topic. I could sense some of you sharpening your elbows to be able to go, hey, finally, he's hitting a topic I wanted him to talk about, right? Do not weaponize this sermon against your spouse, your, your, your wife, or your husband. Kids, do not weaponize this sermon against your, your parents, or, or, or parents for sure. Do not weaponize this against your your kids, what we long to do, what I long to do this morning is to give clear instruction from the scriptures and encourage you and edify you. And up front, I am not speaking at you. I am speaking with you. This is not easy. Being part of a family is not easy. Being married is not easy. Raising kids is not easy. But this is doable Not because we have the power in of ourselves. It is doable because we have the Spirit of God alive in us. But, hear me, it takes effort. It takes effort. And something we say oftentimes around here is this, that the gospel is not opposed to effort, right? Hard work, disciplines. What the gospel is opposed to is earning, all right? Same thing applies in this situation. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean we just, you know, okay, God, like we're just going to, you know, trust you and, 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 and kind of see where the, the cookie crumbles. That's not what the scripture calls us to, as we'll see. You see, in our obedience, in our grace-driven effort, we'll find the beauty of God, we'll see his grace, and we'll find his presence. So listen, this will not be a drive-by guilting sermon for me today, all right? We just long for God to work through his word in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, and in our parenting. Again, we want to call you to what the scripture calls you to, right? I'm not going to lower the bar, right, to what I just said. I would just want to lay the bar before us of what God calls us to, what he desires, all right? So now we're in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 4 through 9. Um, and this is known in the section of scripture called the Shema, Shema. The word Shema is a Hebrew word that means to listen or hear. And you'll pick up why that, that, that says that here in a second. It's an incredibly well-known uh, passage of Scripture, uh, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. And probably not all that surprising that this would be the one I'd point to and i talk about the family uh, or, or home. This particular section of Scripture would have been memorized by all Jewish boys uh, by the time they were 12. You'll hear within this Old Testament passage the, the, the quotation that Jesus makes from the New Testament where Jesus is asked, um, and we in fact talked about it in week one. Jesus says, they asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment of all? 
Jesus, tell us, distill it down what's the most important. This is the one he points to. This is the commandment he, he points to. You see, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, was essentially Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel. All right? So he, he says that this is what you've got to know as you go into the promised land. That's what he, he lays out in Deuteronomy. You see, the people of Israel were taking their, th- themselves, obviously, and their families into a culture that was very different from the one they had been in, wandering in the wilderness. A culture that was hostile to their faith, not friendly to the, to the things that they believe in, the practice of their worship or worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. Right? Does that sound familiar to any other context that we might find ourselves in? Moses is saying, listen, this is what you need to remember and do as you enter that kind of space and place. So with that backdrop, let me read Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, so... Here's what I want to do before I really begin to, to, to unpack this topic. I want to unpack this text a little bit, all right? And not as, as much detail that I typically do in Acts, but I want to unpack this. The first thing in verse 4 is interesting. Notice that Moses here starts in his instruction to families with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he starts with theology, Right? He starts going, here's what you need to understand as you walk, as you go into a land that's polytheistic, right? There are all these different kinds of gods, right? You have one true God. There is one true God. There is one who carries the name Yahweh. And so it starts by setting this theological uh, context back to our, you don't have to go there, but back to that graphic that we use. There is one true God that we orient our whole lives around. There is one true God to which we are being formed and shaped by. All right? There is one true God to which we see and long to know his beauty and his glory. That's where Moses starts. That's where I want to start. Okay? That is our endeavor. That is our goal. But he continues, interestingly, in this way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So he starts here with theology a little bit, laying the foundation. There's one true God, right? Yahweh. And now he goes, now you. And I understand that's a plural you, like y'all as a nation. You is, but he's also talking to you, mom. He's talking to you, dad. He's talking to you, student. He's talking to you, grandparent, right? He's talking to you. You shall do what? Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your might. So we're, we're not even at the families yet, right? We're not even at children yet. We're still at the place of Moses going, listen, this is how you need to be conducting your life. It starts with you, right? They'll never be for, formed or shaped by something that hasn't or isn't shaping and forming you, all right? And so then 7 through 9... These verses here are quite interesting, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children as you walk in your house, as you lie down, as you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Like they, they would put this little box between their eyes or on their forehead as this, this way of reminder. It was very visual, right? It was this very visual act of worship and reminding themselves, right? And so also you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that even displays something of like mission and declaring who God is, that, that there is one true God and he's the one true God of our family and, and of our, our lives, all right? And so that is the context of Deuteronomy 6. Now I want to begin to take Deuteronomy 6 and lay that over this idea of whole life discipleship in our families and in our homes. And the first thing I want to start out by is maybe something very obvious. And it's what Moses and what Jesus repeats from Moses as the greatest command. Jesus, there are 613 Old Testament laws, right? He could have picked one, any, any one out of 613. Why did he pick this one? Because Jesus knew it was the most critical. And he picked this one right here from Deuteronomy 6. You are to what? Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. First point is this. Hear me. And it may be too trite. It may be too simple, but we'll unpack it. You must, if there is any chance of whole life discipleship in your home or in your family, it starts with you loving God authentically. Like, not just intellectual assent, 
but actually loving God with all that you are. If this is the most important, we had better start here, right? And so here's what I, I want you to see. The first and most valuable thing we can do for our families, and I'd also argue for our lives, is to solidify our priorities. The first and most important thing is we must solidify our priorities. And what I'm going to do also this morning is I'm going to lay out a lot of questions. I'm going to lay out a lot of questions for you that I'm not going to necessarily give the answers to, but I want you to dialogue. If you're married, dialogue with your spouse. If you're not married, if you don't have kids, maybe it's somebody in your gospel community or somebody that knows you, right? If you're married with with no kids, dialogue uh, there as well. But dialogue with somebody who truly knows you. And I want you to dialogue on the idea of what are our priorities as a family or in our home. What are the priorities? What, what, what are the values, right? Because I know what was just given to me in Deuteronomy 6 and reaffirmed by Jesus that loving and glorifying God should be our first and most important desire within our hearts and our lives and our home. But is it really? So I want you to actually evaluate that. I believe and trust that most of you intellectually and on paper would be able to give the right order. But I'm talking functionally, in practice, in rhythm. So lay down the right answer, okay? Write it down. And then lay down how you function. The things that you practice, the things in your lives, the things in your marriage. Do you really love God with an authenticity that is evidenced in how you practice, how you're being formed? Right? Like, again, we're not getting to, to kids yet. We're not even getting into home discipleship yet. You said, Kyle, why are we doing this? It's a little bit like uh, the old analogy with uh, the guys or gals who get up before you in a plane pre-flight, right? And they say, listen, if you're traveling with somebody who needs help, if, if you need to put on oxygen mask, who do they say start with? Start with you, right? Like, put the oxygen. Why? Because if you try to get them all figured out, right, and you, the cabin loses pressure, you're no good to anyone. So you're in lifeguard training. What do they tell you as you go do a rescue? Secure yourself first so you're not drowning before you go save somebody else who's drowning. Because if you both drown, it's all for naught. All right? So we're laying some of that foundation for you and for me first. How do we daily fan the flame of affection for Jesus in our lives? Now, if you are married, I would ask you that how are you fanning the flame of Jesus and affection and love for him, your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole might, in your marriage, in your home? Is that happening? Are there spaces of, of worship? And, and listen to me. When I say worship, I don't just mean singing, okay? Singing is, is part of it. Music is also part of it. What about prayer? The word, spiritual habits and practices. Are you fanning the flame of affection for Jesus by obeying husbands and wives? Ephesians 5. If you don't know what Ephesians 5 says, read it today or this week. But it gives clear instructions to husbands. How are we to love our wives and lead our families? Like Christ leads and loves the church, laying down our lives, complete sacrifice for them. And wives, in response, how are you to love and lead in your household? By submitting to your husband's leadership and his love toward you. And some of you are like, oh, the S word, submit, yes word. Listen to me. When there is a Christ-likeness in you as a husband, when the biblical roles and functions of the Spirit are taking place, submission is not labor, it's a joy. And listen to me, husbands, if, if, if your leadership is something you have to assert over and over, hey, remember, I'm the leader of this. I'd really ask you to pause. Because biblical leadership looks like laying your life down and stooping low and serving. And listen to me, men. I say this at weddings, most of the weddings that I do, that there's never been a wife in the history of wives who has ever had an issue submitting to a husband with nail scars in his hands. That's the picture that we have before us as men. That's the leadership. And when that is actually taking place, there is this willingness and this joy and this trust that they're not just following and submitting to you. They're following and submitting to you as you follow Jesus, as you submit to him. And it's this beautiful picture of what marriage biblically should be, right? Loving each other as Christ has loved the church. Is there a mutual submission in your marriage? Right? Are you two together cultivating and creating a space for God's presence to w- richly dwell in your home? Is that taking place? 
In that single parent, this is, this is true for you as well. You, you who live alone in a home, this is true for you as well. But I want to talk about the cultivation and creating a space for God's presence to richly dwell. If God's presence is what we desire and long for more than anything else, is that occurring in your home? Like, is it being invited? Is it being cultivated within the space and place you reside? Right? There are certain things that happen within our homes that kind of sear or shut out the presence of God. Hear me. One of the things that I think oftentimes gets overlooked in marriages or within households is this, is the way in which we communicate with one another. How we speak to one another. You know, Proverbs and all over the pages of Scripture talk about the power of the tongue, right? It says that there is life or death, right, in the power of the tongue. That's true in our marriages. We can speak life to one another, fanning the flame of affection in the presence of God. Right? Or we can, as James says, with such a small instrument, set a flame in a blaze, not a positive way, that sets fire to everything, that destroys it. Right? Is your language to one another harsh or sharp, unkind? You ever have those moments like I do where I, I hear my kid say something, maybe to another sibling or maybe to one of us, and I... I, I incorrectly, but I, I discipline them, but then I realize that they've said it because I've said it. You've been there, anybody else? Like, he's saying that because I'm shaping him. I'm forming him. Or, or the one time where my, my, my Mac, my middle uh, child, was recording something on my phone, and uh, something ridiculous, right? And uh, I heard me in the background talking. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I, I wasn't praying, by the way. I was saying something. And I'm like, Tessa, it, is my tone like that? Am, am, am I that harsh sometimes? And it was like a moment of like the Lord, like it was his grace that allowed me to see that where I could go, God, help me. Lord, 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 I need you. And I had, I had to ask for forgiveness and, and repent. Right? Like, is, is, is there that tone in your, your house where you're welcoming with how you communicate with your kids and with your spouse the presence of God and inviting him in? Or how about, how about not realizing that we're the gatekeepers of our home? Like, what, 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 what is being intaked into our home by what we watch or what we listen to or what we read? And some of you are like, oh, this is legalism, Kyle. No, this is obedience. That God tells us to guard our eyes, guard our hearts, to guard what we watch and what we listen to, what we allow into our house and space. Does it cultivate and create a space for God's presence to come? And some of you, even I've talked with you, I'm not saying just in this service, but who who go, you know, we we don't watch that when the kids are around. We don't watch that show when the kids are around. Listen, I don't care. That doesn't make it right that just the kids' eyes aren't peering into it. It's the fact it's before your eyes in your home and you're the gatekeeper. And if it's not honoring to the Lord, it doesn't matter whether the kids are around or they're not around. Your schedules. Right? Do your schedules invite the presence of God in? Or are you so busy going from one thing to the next to the next that the presence of God dwelling richly in your home is a secondary thought? Your use of your phones, removing your presence from being present with them, enjoying them, enjoying the presence of God together. Oh, this one hits so too close to home for me that my heart breaks when I am so tethered to my device that I'll look over the screen and I'll see the kids that have been entrusted to me or my wife that I'm neglecting for the sake of what? that I'll even set my phone aside and it goes off right here in our text message or email. Or some, and it's like Pavlov's dog, right? I'm like, I gotta go. Like, like I'm that important. Like what, what, what that text is or that email is more important than the people who God has placed right before me, calling for his presence and my presence to be there. It's my phone. My device can steal and rob the presence of God. Or how, how about a, a positive one? Just a practice of resistance to our culture's busyness and consumption. This idea of Sabbath. 
Is your house a place of rest? Like true spiritual rest? Like is it a place and a space where you can come out from this crazy chaotic world? Maybe you're coming from school or work or whatever it may be. And your, your home is a sanctuary where you feel and sense the presence of God drawing you to himself to rest. Is there a, a marked day of Sabbath for you guys? To obey that command of God going, listen, you work six days and you rest on the other one so that your work is actually worship. That we actually work from a place of worship and rest and not vice versa. We don't work to get rest. We work out of our rest. Listen, those kind of practices and forms are meant to be in place in our homes, in our families, cultivated and created so the presence of God might be there meeting us, communing with us. You see, if what we need and should desire more than anything else on the planet is his presence, we have to come face to face with the question and ask, are we creating and cultivating environments in our home, in our marriages for his presence to be welcomed and invited and experienced? And so now, even as we begin to talk a little bit more explicitly about family, I want to say this up front, um, that you and I, we cannot guarantee that our sons or our daughters will come to faith in Jesus. We can't guarantee that. But what we are called to is we're called, and what I hope you hear me explaining is that we want to put Holy Spirit kindling around their lives and try to stoke the fire of the Spirit in their lives that we as parents, as mom, dad, as grandparents, as a community of faith, what we long to display to them is the joy and kindness of Christ, the gospel. We would model confession and repentance. Think about my my parents. Um, My parents um, got a lot of things right. But what I remember most is what they got wrong. And not just the things that they got wrong, but when they owned the things that they got wrong where they failed, when they sinned, that they would come before us or before me and share that with us. Now, why do you think I would remember that? You want to know why I remembered that? Because that is the vivid picture of the gospel on display. That they were going, listen, we are going to fail you. We have failed you. Here's a specific example of that. But we have to go before the Lord in forgiveness. And what it did was it didn't point me to them. It pointed me to Christ. That that's what our goal is in parenting. That is what our goal is in our home. It's not to go, hey, look at mom, look at dad, look at your saviors. No, 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 no. It's look at your savior. Mom and dad, we need saving just like you need saving. We need grace and mercy just like you need grace and mercy. So I'm going to be a visible demonstration. I'm going to model for you how the grace and mercy overwhelms and envelops our whole lives. And most of the time it's when I miss. Listen, there are more parenting failures I could share with you than wins and successes. Anybody else in that boat? But it's when we come and we go, listen, Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is the one you need more than anything else in this planet. More than you need me to be right or to do this right. You need Jesus. He's the Savior. However, while we can't guarantee our salvation that's the spirit of our sons or daughters, that's the Spirit's work drawing the faith in Jesus. I'm convinced that there are things that we can do that almost guarantee that they won't be interested in Jesus or pursuing him with a zeal. And while I could talk about a few things, I just want to bring up one. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the home, hypocrisy in your life, hypocrisy in your marriage. Kids can pick up on what you really cherish and love above all else. Listen, remember that question that I started with here? What are the values and priorities of your home? You list them out. You list them. You go, oh yeah, I bet these are good. Have your kids sniff test that. Have your kid pressure test that. Have your kid identify what are the values and priorities of your home as, as we function and how, how we live, right? And so on the front end, here's what I'm saying. Our priority is this, to love God with everything that we are, for that to be genuine and authentic in our individual lives, in our marriages, that we would call each other to love Jesus more and more, That what we'd set before our kids, if you are married, is a picture that you are in covenantal relationship with your spouse and not with them, okay? Like if you talk to my kids, they know that oftentimes I'll tell them, I love you so much, but I love your mom more. I love your mom more. And and my daughter's like, why? (laughs) 
Not because of Tessa, but because I say, because Jesus has told me that. Because that's the way and the order Jesus has given me. And listen, Elin, Mac, Callahan, that's how you're going to know Christ, is that I love her more than I love you. And I love him. I love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit more than I love her. And I follow him with my whole life, laying my life down for her. You're going to see Christ. That's how you're going to know Jesus. May we be a church full of people who authentically love God. Okay, now, laying that, that was a very long primer, okay? Now, discipleship in the home. Discipleship in the home. Uh, I, I thought about my first point, which I think I've made. Discipleship in the home is, like, hard, right? It's hard. It's not impossible. It's impossible apart from the grace and mercy of Christ. But I want to encourage you this morning, uh, parents, single moms, single dads, you are not alone in this. You're not alone. You are in one, you're in a community that wants to champion this in you, that wants to see the glory of God and the beauty of God in our homes, in our lives, in our marriages. And so that's why we would walk through this. And I hope, I hope it's edifying and, and practical for you. And we're going to use again Deuteronomy 6. First thing is this. Discipleship in the home is intentional. It's intentional, right? It, it has to be thoughtful, right? Like you have to think about it. It doesn't just happen, you know? Like discipleship doesn't just happen. There's a thought and a process and, and actually um, I'm going through a mental exercise to go, listen, this is what we long to do because God has called us to do it. You will need to sit down and think about how are you as a family are going to intentionally form and be formed in your home. Hear me? You're going to have to do that. Build a family rhythm. Do, do something. And again, this is not just rearranging the furniture in our lives. This is about a total reorientation of who we are. Not a rearranging of the furniture, a reorientation of who we are around God. And in fact, I, I was, uh, somebody brought this to my attention uh, before the first service, is that our shared practice this week is to simplify our schedules. You know those cards that you get mailed to you, right, in your house? Look at this week's. It's to simplify your schedule. And we're just asking for one week in that, right? But maybe that's a catalyst for you having this discussion. Okay, so it must be intentional. Second thing is this. It must be consistent, right? It must be consistent. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. All right, so we got past the greatest command. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The heart is the center of who you are. Everything flows out of your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now we're getting, now, now we're more in the home. Now we're more in the family, okay? And this doesn't matter if your kid's 17 under your roof or they're one day old, okay? So this, this is true, is true, is true, right? Diligently. If you have a Bible, you might underline that word. The word diligently there means to sharpen consistently. Sharpen over and over and over again. Right? That is the point Moses is driving home here when he says, this is when you talk about it in your going, in your coming, in your, your, your lying down, in your rising up. All the time, consistently, you are pressing in the things of God that you are to love God with all that you are. And listen to me. This isn't just a rearranging. You're going, man, what are you calling me to do? Are you calling me to add something to already my crazy schedule? No, no, not at all. Maybe it's to set some of those things down, but I'm asking you to actually reorient the things that are already taking place in your life. I think that's what Moses is saying. You're already having the conversations. You're already having dinners, hopefully together. You're already putting kids to bed. You're in the car ride, picking up or taking to school or whatever it may be. It's reorienting those conversations around the gospel. How does the gospel influence? How does the gospel impact? How does it speak to? But it's consistent over and over and over and pressing into our lives over and over again. Listen, for you as a parent, for me as a parent, it's not enough just to go, hey, my kid prayed the sinner's prayer. He, she, they're, they're good, right? Mission accomplished. Is that how God the Father parents you? No. Right? He's constantly pressing on me over and over and over. He's constantly, thankfully, washing over me with his grace day after day after day. What did the scriptures say? Every morning his mercies are new. Every day it's consistent. It's over and over. And as parents, that's what we need is a consistency in our lives as we shape and form our kids for the glory of God. So sports, listen, I'm not against sports. I, I, I love sports, but use them, reorient them around how the gospel shapes. School, friends, weaknesses, struggles. 
One author says this, Parents, if your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear the sin and weakness of your child, it's never an accident. It's never a hassle. It's never an interruption. It's always grace. God loves your children, and because he does, he placed them in a family of faith so that you can be his tool of convicting, forgiving, and transforming grace. Do you view it like that? Or do you hear a weakness? Do you hear a struggle? Do you hear a devil and go, oh, man. Kind of a knock on my ego. Kind of a ding against me. Or do you see that as a way in which God is allowing you to see it as their parent to shape and steward them for his glory? That that might be a moment where they are able to see and know the beauty of God. You remember the goal of discipleship? To see and know the beauty of God? It is the same goal for your house and my house. How about devotions? Right? How about times together? Like, like are you, Kyle, are you talking about family devotions? Like, for real? You're really talking about family? Yes! I'm talking about family devotions. Like, oh, brother, like, here we go. Like, we tried it. It was a failure. It was a mess, right? But listen, I get it, okay? These are so critical, important, that you have specific and consistent stop-down moments where you as a family open the scriptures and pray together. Where you're having these spiritual dialogues and these conversations. And listen, I think for many of us, Advent was kind of, is kind of like a primer for us. It's just a really easy season to have these spiritual conversations. But do do you have those? Do you have those moments every week? I'm not even saying every day. But saying, hey, Tuesday evening, here's where we're going to open the scriptures and pray together. A couple warnings here. One, um, you have to be intentional about it or it'll never happen. Point number one, right? Back to that. Two, don't romanticize it. Okay? Like, don't, don't be like, oh, yeah, Kyle, this is easy for you to say family devotions, right? You, or Sam to talk about his family devotions. He's there strumming the guitar and they're just having a worship session. It's like, whoa, angels are speaking. Like, that's what's going on there. I, I want to invite you all into like a family devotion of mine, right? Like, it's like some uh, child's taking off another kid's diaper and they're hitting every time, right? Like, we're not, we're not going through the Hebrew and Greek, okay? Like, we're just literally trying to get to prayer so we can go, God, help us. Like, please, just help us. Like, we're just doing this. You, call, you know, like, that's it. But I feel like oftentimes in this romanticized idealism that it's just like, well, it's got to be like this or we just got to have the Shekinah glory of God fall. Or, you know, it's just, no. Listen, the win, the win is that you faithfully do it. You faithfully open the scriptures. You faithfully have conversation and you seek the face of God. That's the win. And listen to me. Here's what I love. There are these moments, these flashes of God's beauty and power show up. I even think back like through, through when we were like in lockdown and shut down. Like, and many of you have said, like, I've just enjoyed our family time. I've enjoyed pouring into each other and, and having that space. And I hope that doesn't go away. And all these things, it's like, it can continue, right? You know that. It's going to take diligence. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take effort and sacrifice and all those things, right? So I don't want to say, hey, just because you tried it and it failed, hey, just, you know, better luck next time. No, no, keep pressing. Keep going. You say, my, man, my kid's 16, 17. I'd love to go back when my kids were seven, you know, eight, nine. No, 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 you don't, first off, okay? But it's not too late. You say, I, I missed my window. No, you haven't. Start now. Start today. Start this week. And then the last warning is this. When you set a time, know that it's going to be attacked. Oh, oh, all of a sudden, soccer practice got moved to that exact same time slot. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that this is so difficult in our marriages and in our homes is because the enemy knows how powerful it is, right? It's like prayer. Like, why do we struggle so much in, in having a vibrant prayer life, right? Because the enemy knows how powerful it is. This home, this space, and this place where God's presence is specifically focused on as parents, as kids, as family members. And students, you're in here. Honor your parents in this, Right? As you find yourself in these spaces and in these places, the Bible calls you to honor your parents, to listen, to obey your mom and dad. But in these spaces particularly, be proactive. Be responsible. Put your device away. Right? Some of you I'm looking at you like right now. Put your device away and be present. Be engaging. Right? So when they ask you about the things of Christ and what he's doing in your life, talk about that, right? When they talk about student groups, when you leave student groups, you go, hey, what, 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 what did they talk about? You go, I don't know. God, you know. Maybe something more specific. Parents, maybe you need to ask better questions, right? 
Like, I've had to learn that the hard way because I kept getting these tried answers from my kids. And I'm like, okay, now I ask. I'm like, okay, what is one thing today that Jesus helped you with? Okay, what is one thing today that you saw the joy of the Lord in that made you smile or laugh? What's one thing in the area of X that you see God grow? Like, get specific with your kids, right? And kids, respond. Kids, kids, be participating. And you are going to see the beauty and glory of what God has designed in formation within the home. Third, is be creative. Now, I'm, 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 not very, I'm not a very creative person. Tessa is a lot more creative than I am. Um, but when I read Deuteronomy 6, and I see, you can go back to it, here in verses 7 through 9, I see creativity. Put them on your arms. What? The word of God. Put them on the frontlets. Put them on your signposts, right? And God, over and over and over, displays his beauty and his power in creative ways, right? Think about in nature. Look to the heavens. Look to the stars. Look to the trees. Look at this. He he uses a, a, a donkey to communicate with people. He uses a rock. He uses Jesus. We'll use different illustrations of these creative things. Like be creative in how you lead and how you show and display Christ in your home one to another. Right? Leverage those moments that God has placed you in. Right? And, and two, notice that this is not a one size fits all. It's not at all. It takes you having an intimate knowledge of your kids and of your spouses and asking the Spirit to help you in how to display the gospel to them. I, I used this in the first service where for Sam and another pastor here, our, the main guy who leads worship with the long hair, he loves to camp, right? Loves to be outdoors, he and his wife and his kids, and they just love that, right? As a family. Me, on the other hand, right? I like to camp. I love the outdoors, respect it. But my preference, as the sweater probably tells you, would be to be in a hotel, right? Would be to, with a hot shower, right? Like that's, that's more ideal for me. But for him, it's like leveraging those moments just to go the stars, you know? And the truth is like, kids, look at this. Let's display God's creative character and nature and just worship him in that. And like for, for Tessa and I, it's like we go to the hotel lobby. I'm like, look at that awesome waterfall just dripping down. Like, it's like God is so good, you know, or whatever, you know. I like sports as well, so I can be like, look how hard they train. Do you think they train? You know, things like that. Just be creative. That's what I'm saying, okay? You can see my lack of creativity there. That's why I lean on Tessa for that one. Hear me. What we are after is our kids' hearts, along with ourselves, knowing Jesus and loving him above all. Right? Discipleship in the home is not about behavior modification. Right? And what is a good analogy for this is that's something called slingshot parenting, behavior modification. You know that, right? So it's rule after rule after rule. And then after 18 years of behavior modification, whatever behavior they have, what happens? You release them. And it's just out. Instead, the Bible talks about us as parents and as a community, grandparents as well as raising arrows, right? That we point the bow strategically, purposefully, and we set that arrow out on a trajectory because we have raised them in the ways of the Lord, because we've told them, listen, what matters more than the college you go to? What matters more than this or that? Whatever the world and culture wants to tell you, what matters most is that you know and love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what matters most, and that's what I want you to know. Whatever college, whatever career, whatever path, whatever, as long as you love Jesus. And I want to release that arrow to fly for his glory. Paul Tripp, I love what he says. He says, God didn't give you your children to build your reputation, but to publicly proclaim his. And in Collin County, there's a lot of discipleship and formation going on of children particularly to build the reputation of their parents. May we be a church, an antithetical picture to that, where we're saying we're raising and stewarding these little lives to publicly display the glory and goodness of our God. And the last point, and maybe the most important, is that you're not alone in this. You're not alone. Marriage, parenting, your home, family, this is a communal call. Deuteronomy 6 from Moses, the Lord to a group of people, was a communal call. 
um, I've heard that it takes a village to raise kids. Have you heard that? That's not true. It takes a church. It takes a community of faith. It takes the community of the redeemed pouring in and showing and shaping. Listen, if you're single, if you're married with no kids, if you're a grandparent, if you're a widow, whatever it is, it takes you. It takes me participating with one another in a communal effort to see our kids know the beauty of the gospel. Listen, what is most powerful on the next generation of kids is that they see the older generations walking closely and faithfully with the Lord alongside them. Listen, we're standing on so many foundations of prayers that you have set, that have been set by grandparents in the older generation. We're standing on those prayers. But listen, your time is not done, right? Just because all your kids have left your house, no, your season is not over. We need you. Just because you don't have kids, you go, well, I'm... I'm not, no, we need you. One of the best youth leaders we've ever had here at the Parks Church is a single gal who's not married, who has poured her life into the students of this church. And it's powerful. Other powerful relationships we've seen where, where grandparents adopt, right? Young families in this community of faith. We need you. We need you playing a role in each and every life, right? Those of you who have young kids, being with other people who have middle school and high school kids and vice versa. Like, I want to let my kids see us pursuing Jesus with other families and other people in this body, encouraging one another and inviting them in. And and listen, your kids are probably going to say, no, I don't want to join. But they still know what's going on. They still see and know what is taking place. But this isn't the deepest communion. The deepest communion that's actually taking place is that you're not alone because the spirit of the living God is going with you and before you. That the grace of Christ is with you in this endeavor. Oh, yes, it's hard and it's difficult, but it's possible because he has made it possible. Again, to close with Paul Tripp, he says this. He says, so your hope as a parent is not found in your power, your wisdom, your character, your experience, or your success. But in the one thing alone, the presence of your Lord, the creator, savior, almighty, sovereign king is with you. Let your heart rest. Weary parent, weary mom, weary dad, let your heart rest. You are not in this parenting drama alone. Your potential is greater than the size of your weaknesses. Because the one who is without weakness is with you, and he does his best work through those who admit that they are weak, but in weakness still heed his call. Still, day by day, move forward in his grace. Like, how beautiful is that? How good is that, that the presence of the Lord is going before you and with you? And so it's with that mind and that heart I want to draw us into communion. What a fitting, what a fitting close to look at the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. To taste and see and experience the gospel firsthand here. Now, hear me, at the Parks Church, um, this is the only thing we do that is closed. And by closed, I mean you must be a believer in Jesus Christ, professed him as Savior and Lord of your life. And maybe that happened as we were singing or as I was preaching. Join with us in communion. If that hasn't occurred yet, I just ask you to abstain from from taking this. But for the rest of us, we're going to take the body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And before we do, I want to be obedient to the scriptures and ask the Spirit to examine our lives examine our hearts and to clearly show us those areas where we have just been walking in disobedience and seek the forgiveness that was afforded to us by these things. And so let's do that. Simply pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, examine our lives and our hearts. Lord, speak to us, for we do not want to take these elements in an unworthy fashion or manner. We don't take them flippantly or lightly but in all reverence, in all. Forgive us, O God. Sanctify us, purify us. Give us clean hands, give us clean lips, O Lord. 
the scriptures say on the night that Jesus was betrayed after giving thanks, he took bread and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and explained to them that each time they would take the broken bread, that it represents his broken body, that they would do that in remembrance of him and the things that would occur that night to his body, the breaking. And so we do the same thing here 2,000 years later. We do this in remembrance of the broken body of Jesus Christ. And so let's take the broken bread together. And in the same manner, he took the cup and giving thanks, he, after giving thanks, he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. That salvation is found in Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone. That forgiveness, a hope of an eternity is found in the new covenant. Not an obedience or adherence to the law. Jesus goes, I fulfilled that for you. So trust in me. And so we do that this morning. We trust again in him and his finished work upon the cross. So let's take the cup together. And church, would you stand with me? And if you've been here a part of our church for any amount of time, you know the answer to this question. What is the fitting response after taking Holy Communion? Worship. And so let us worship our God in prayer right now as we stand on our feet. Father, thank you. God, with, with juice on our breath and, 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 and bread in our teeth, God, we thank you for sending your son to die for us. God, we do not take this lightly or flippantly, Lord, but we understand the weight of your glory in sending your son to display love and care toward us, sinners who are guilty. Lord, but we stand here as a people who are free, free to pursue you, free to come in fellowship with you, free to beckon and call your presence into our homes, into our lives, free to love you with everything we are. So Lord, I pray that we would live with that kind of surrender and sacrifice as displayed through Christ for your glory. God, I thank you for this church. I pray for us as we endeavor in our marriages, in our families, in our homes. God, as we endeavor in this faith family, God, may we be a people who are completely, completely surrendered to you, hungry for more of your presence in all facets of our lives, in our whole lives. For your glory, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.